This episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast is very kindly sponsored by Dumfries and Galloway What's Going On. Dumfries and Galloway What's Going On is the region's biggest online media and news page. They have a whole host of information, including local stories, sports news, weather and traffic reports, event info, job postings, and much, much more. And best of all, Ross, it's free. So if you want to check out Dumfries and Galloway, what's going on, you can find them on their website at www.dgwgo.com or you can search them on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and all other social media platforms at DGWGO. If you want to know what's going on in Dumfries and Galloway, they have you covered. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast with your hosts Ross Sanderson and John Muir. Now, I say this every week that we've got a great episode this week and I'm really looking forward to it, which is true because every week is brilliant, but this week has me extra excited, not only for the fabulous guests we have on today, but there were also some jaw-dropping scores over the weekend for us to review. And additionally, there's some hugely important games for us to look ahead to this weekend, many of which will stand to play a huge part in how clubs at both ends of the tables will shape up as we're edging closer to the end of the season. But to crack on with this episode, today's special guest, and well done to anyone that guessed it on our socials, apart from you, Mick McCulloch, who decided he would cleverly give his guess as to who he thought it was after we'd announced it, so no marks for you, mate. I'm delighted to introduce Stuart Tree head coach Sandy Curry to the pod. Sandy, hello. Thanks very much for coming on. How are you? Good evening, guys. Yeah, good. Happy. Fire's on. Glass of last night's red wine in hand. Happy. As you well know, we often start how you got to where you are now. Not right now with that glass of red, but where you are in that in the post. Obviously, you are... My coach, I know your story, but many of the, John knows your story very well as well, but many of the listeners may not. So how did you get to where you are right now? In terms of coming to rugby, I guess, fairly conventional. Football playing primary school, wasn't very good at football, or not good enough at football. And started playing rugby at high school, before I preferred it. That was at Douglas Stewart, high school in Newton Stewart. Played all the way through high school, and I was actually thinking this afternoon, I played, I don't remember going to youth rugby at Newton Stewart at all. I do remember starting senior rugby there. I probably only had six months of senior rugby at Newton Stewart from Christmas till summer. I turned 16 in January, so I do old enough to play at Newton Stewart then. And I don't recall playing any games, but I do have a feeling I potentially played a couple of second team games at Newton Stewart there. Um, but certainly trained, I remember training with the boys at Newton Stewart. And yeah, step up to school rugby and senior rugby was, was brilliant. I loved it. Um, I left. Uh, Newton Stewart moved to Dumfries for work when I was 16. Um, I was living in Diggs at Dumfries, so I started training with the Colts at Dumfries. Uh, had a really good Colts set up at the team. At the time, including a few boys. Still currently playing first in rugby at Dumfries and uh, a couple of coaches as well. Played a couple of years at Dumfries um, until I was 18, made a step up to senior rugby uh, at 18. Played, I played my first ever senior game at Dumfries and what was then a record winning score. We beat St. Boswells, Newton's and Boswells. I remember this one. It was 150 plus. It was a national winning record at the time. So that's probably why I managed to make the first team debut that day, I think, because we were probably guaranteed a win. 
And yeah, I played probably a year at Dumfries maybe and then worked, took me through to Stranraer. I was still around Dumfries working in Stranraer, albeit lodging in Stranraer a bit. So I, I stopped playing for quite a while actually, just with travelling and stuff. And also for me, I, 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 rugby was a big part of my life, but I had loads of other interests as well. And a lot else going on. I was always mountain biking, climbing, lots of different things. So travelled a lot at that time, um, winter season especially, big at the snowboard and travelled up north snowboarding weekends, going abroad and stuff. So didn't massively into rugby and then came back to when I settled back into Freese, probably aged 21 or 22, um, back at the Freese and, and played rugby there. I was never massively serious on it. I was, I was okay rugby player. I was really average. Most of my senior rugby at Dumfries, the most enjoyable rugby at Dumfries was played in the second team. Some of my best pals nowadays are boys that we played in a really good second, a really good fun second team at that time. Time Dumfries had three teams. The second team was competitive, but it wasn't taken super seriously either. Played a bit of senior rugby, first team rugby at Dumfries, but I would really have to be training particularly hard and, and, and making a real effort to be playing first team rugby. Um, and it didn't really suit me at the time. Um, I loved it, but not that much, I guess. Um, I wanted to commit my life to it. other stuff going on, as I say. Lots of other hobbies. Then that was me for probably four or five years. And then when I was 26, I had a bit of a whoopsie on a mountain bike and broke my neck and had a few weeks in, in hospital. So that, that put paid to that season, certainly. <laughs> Albeit, if you speak to anybody that I've ever played with, I was pretty injury prone anyway. Made like chocolate, I think. More or less played with quite a lot of my body taped together between broken collarbones and dislocated shoulders. And I remember fracturing a cheekbone the week before Christmas and spending Christmas in hospital um, getting my, my cheekbone uh, operated on. So, yeah, probably not a surprise that I come off my bike and <coughs> ended up in hospital for a few weeks over the summer of 2014. Uh, got back to rugby via coaching, actually. I was trying to work out how you up at the Stewart Street, but because when I came back to play, I went back. Yeah, but just before, it must have been sort of not long after that, 2014-2015, I got involved coaching the girls at the Shootery because Dot, my now wife, was playing with them at the time. Their coach was looking for a hand doing pre-season. I was not long out of hospital available, so it turned up at pre-season helping them in my neck brace. Pre-season, I love pre-season, but I wasn't that keen in rugby play the opposite of most rugby players in that I loved pre-season, I liked fitness. So that suited me. So I helped them with a the pre-season sort of August-September and then the coach left. It literally was at training one night. I was sort of doing the pre-season and the girls turned around and went, coach uh, isn't coming back so I take it you'll, you'll just look after us. And I was a bit like, mm. <laughs> uh, so I guess, uh, and that, that was me, to be honest, involved in the statutory ever since. Come back, I tried to come back playing maybe the season 2015 Trained in pre-season with the boys. I was feeling pretty good, actually. Really keen to, I was really, really keen to play the Stuart Tree. It just, it, it would move through here by that point. I was really, yeah, keen to be playing with the club here. Just liked the environment. I liked the club. But anyway, I couldn't. I went back to, I went back to hospital um, for a for a checkup for my yearly checkup, and said to the doctor, I was keen on playing. I went with the idea in my head that I had two questions for the doctor. Actually, I'd said, if am I more at risk of getting an injury? And if I do get injured, I'm more at risk of it being serious or re-aggravating my, my neck injury. Because as a result of my mind back then, actually, I had uh, metal work in my neck and bone grafts taken off my hip to fuse my spine back together and stuff. So uh, it wasn't just a clear cut. I can go back and play. And the doctor said both of those things, that you are more at risk of injury. And then if you do get injured, you're more at risk of it being serious. So it sort of, that sort of made my decision for me that playing wasn't going to be an option. So, 
yeah, stuck at the coaching, I guess, and coached the girls for three, four seasons. Time is a bit of an abstract concept to me. That's <laughs> my time on the pod tonight, you'll will test them. But yeah, probably three, four, five years potentially. Was asked, and again, I remember the conversation clearly, actually, sitting in the pub in the Legion in Castle Douglas with a couple of boys. Must have been out on Saturday night after the first team game. I think when I was maybe the season, so I was thinking about getting back to play. Danny Boyd, Rory Borchius both spoke to me and had said, and John, you'll be able to tell me if this was orchestrated or not. I don't know if it was just them, but saying that uh, John's doing the hand at the first team rugby, I think it was about time you came and helped us. And I thought about it. And I don't know, there was something about, I think, because I'd never played at a particularly high level. I never, I never had any ambition as a coach particularly at all, but also because I'd never played to any great level. I never really thought I would be capable as a coach, I guess. But the girls seemed to enjoy what I was doing. I really enjoyed what I was doing with them. It was working. We had a fair degree of success in terms of both building the team and where we were uh, as a squad and, and getting promoted and cups and stuff. So I thought I must have been doing something right. So I thought about it and spoke to John about it. And he, he said the following season was an option for a lot to step up and help him. So he would help John as an assistant for the first team. I did that for a season, John. Is that right? Season? Yeah. Yeah, one yeah. season. And then I did the uh, I'm leaving. Sandy will look after you. See you as well. I chat with a few senior players in the squad and um, like I say, I'm, I was, I'm very aware that I'm, I'm never far from being knowledgeable but and I certainly was never coming with an attitude to coaching of you know, everything and teaching people but what I do enjoy and I think I'm good at is working with the team, allowing them, giving them a platform to express themselves and learning from them, recognising it in the team. There's a whole host of knowledge, isn't there? Like there's, I've never been a scrum in my life, for example. I had no idea what was on in there. So no point in me going and saying, this is what we're going to do for a scrum. So it's about working with them. And at that time, it was just myself coaching. So really, I had to work with the players. But also very quickly realised, actually, coaching isn't probably about knowledge, that coaching's about relationships and the knowledge stuff you can learn. The relationship stuff's key. That's just the way I am, I guess. Empathetic, emotional. That they are two of my strengths. I've got many weaknesses, but I think they're two of my strengths. So uh, I think you can do a lot with that when it comes to coaching. Everything else can be worked out. And I think the last play, three or four seasons, we've muddled through together. David Borland, now my assistant coach, David came on two years ago. Again, COVID sort of gets in roads. It was difficult to know, but probably two seasons ago, David came and helped as my assistant. Yeah, I mean, David's been going strong now for a couple of years. and That's working well. So yeah, I guess that's pretty much my rugby journey. Looking back to where it kind of started at school, school wasn't for me. I left at 16 and school I didn't agree, but rugby was one big positive for me in terms of fitting in. I don't have any dramatic stories around it, it saving me or anything like that, but it definitely helped me fit in. It gave me friends, it gave me um, yeah, kind of something to hang my out in terms of something I could do and something I enjoyed doing. School certainly in life would have been very different for me. From that point of view, um, and as I say, like I said, playing the freeze first or seconds, some of my best pals now are boys I think one thing I'll take away from that is that not looking forward to next year's preseason or this year's preseason. <laughs> I was speaking to John the other day, Sandy, uh, John Pickin, and he was saying, and you actually mentioned it as well the other day, part of this rugby journey, journey in Stewartry, you've had some very good times, some much more challenging times. At the moment, you'd say it's going very well. We'll talk about this season and the successes you've had in a little bit. But you said at training the other day, you can remember a time when you were calling people up on a Friday night, trying to get folk ready for the ready for the Saturday. So you've kind of done everything 
in a full circle here at Stuart Tree as, as a coach. Yeah, I think so. I think I've probably seen that with both teams, actually. When the girls started, they were probably in their infancy and as a team. So we very much built from the ground up. I certainly wasn't involved from the very start, but it was fairly close and certainly it was around in the early days of their competitive leagues. And when I was there, we were at the very bottom of the, <coughs> the league structure and finished at the top. So, yeah, I've certainly seen it from that point of view. And then, to a much lesser degree, the boys were far from, they were in a good place when I started. John had got them out of West 2 the year before I came on board. So they were in a good place as well. I think numbers-wise, maybe we were struggling a wee bit. But, you know, I think rugby is cyclical and teams go through cycles. And you see it. Newton Stewart are on a high at the moment. Wigtonshire are coming. But they're both teams that have been down West 2, West 3 and have come up. And a lot of that's down to chance. A lot of that's down to players just coming through. I can think of, we have two really good Colts teams, year groups that can sustain the first team at the moment. We a team from five or six years ago, like TJ, David Maxwell, sort of age group, and now a team from two or three years ago with Fraser, Lockie, Archie, Gregor, Kieran, boys like that who can sustain the first team. That's obviously really important. So I'm in a good spot now that we've had a good couple of Colts teams coming through the club, which really helped. is massively important. If, if, if I've had any part in that, it's just about being an environment that people want to be part of. Like we're amateur rugby players at the end of the day. We, you know, we do it because we love it. We enjoy it. We want to be there. So for me, it's about an environment that is fun, enjoyable, where people go on well together. I want to be part of it. So, yeah, I think we're, we're very fortunate the work, the way the club's going, that the whole club is in a really good spot at the moment. Girls, boys, youth, really support a strong committee. So all those things work together, I think, and, and they all kind of come in. Yeah, it's not any just one one block. It's a number of pieces fit in a jigsaw and just all time and coming together well. I think sometimes these things just happen, things all come together well. I think we are probably... Riding that wave at the moment, hopefully not at the crest of it yet, but we're sitting, we're heading in that direction. So. Do you think you you mentioned outside of rugby because you didn't have maybe the biggest rugby influence when you were growing up or when you were coming through starting out at rugby? You mentioned you had so many other hobbies that you also wanted to focus on at, at various points in your life. Do you think any of that plays into parts of you being a coach, whether they're sports with your with your climbing, with your biking, just disciplines that you've collected from all the all the things you love doing? I mean, practically, there's loads of different things you can draw in there. Some of the, the <laughs> you'll maybe experience it next season. We go to the Doak Woods, for example, uh, as part of our pre-season training session, which the boys naturally hate, and we do sprints up and down a really steep hill in the woods. And that's something I've learned from, from hill running, which is another hobby of mine, so training for, for hill running. That's where that comes from. Do a drill sometimes to train a chain gang girl, a chain gang girl which is a, a cycling thing. Some of the resilient stuff we talk about, some of the mentality, the kind of grit, determination, fear, whatever. comes from a climbing background, I guess, and mountain biking as well. So practically, yeah, there's loads we can draw in, but I think it's just, again, it's that relationships thing. It's being aware of being a world outside rugby. There's loads of different things that you can draw an influence on and develop your character as well, make you play a fairly rounded character, which I think is really important. Regret asking that question now, Sandy, hearing about them hill runs and all the fitness we've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I don't send out season plans or uh, pre-season plans. There's no diary because boys don't know what's coming. <laughs> Great. I'm so excited. The oh. the way So the way in which you coach, we've talked about that quite a lot. It's very personal-based, as you've said. I know that from experience, obviously. Why do you think that's important, though? It's that... I, I think it's important for, for building those relationships, as you say, but it's a different kind of philosophy between your players. On the pitch, your your philosophy is fast, flowing rugby, breaking the game line, 
playing well, and I think we've done that very well this season. But you would say your your bigger philosophy is is the man management. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, we, like I said, rugby rugby is important, but uh, it's it's far from being be all end all. And actually, it's really important, especially in the spot we're in at the moment. We, I'm, I'm really focused on making sure the results are good. But actually, it's about so much more than that. And um, it's about boys having relationships with each other. It's about boys having something where they can focus on in life. And I know just from having conversations, even as recently as, as last week, with boys who I speak to uh, within the team who have real difficulties at home and struggles, like real issues. I'm not just not talking just having a bad day, but I mean stuff that's really happening at home. But, but it's actually going to rugby twice a week is, is a release. It's important for them, for their own sanity and health to do that. So I think you have to remember that when you're coaching that, yeah, the rugby is good, but actually there's so much more to it than that. It's about being part of something, being part of something bigger, whether that's just in the club, or it's just about for that hour, three hours a week that where boys can forget everything else, come to the club, where they're with their pals um, and have a good time. And I think if you have that right, then the results will come. Like, obviously, you need to be getting your technical stuff right, your technical tactical. You need to be getting all that right. But actually, the relationships, the boys' sense of belonging, the wanting to play for each other, the, the being part of something bigger is far more important in the grand scheme of things because actually, if we don't get promoted, we don't win a cup, but the boys are having a good time, they want to be there, they're getting out of the house for three or four hours a week and it gives them a bit of sense of purpose, it gives them just something that they enjoy doing and that's that's far more important than the results we'll ever get. But I think the positive flip side of that is if you get that right, then, then, then things will come good on the pitch because we're not Scotland, like we're not playing the highest level in rugby and actually... We just have a group of guys who like having a bit of crack, like being together, oh. then, then that does produce some results in the pitch. I think as an example, one of the first things I did with this team was arrange a pre-season tour. We went to Blackpool, of all places. The rugby was terrible. We won 125-7, I think. We stayed in one of the worst B&Bs that I've ever experienced. <laughs> There's some stories about that B&B that aren't suitable for this medium. Um, it cost us like £5 a night, so that'll give you an idea. We went there for two nights. We had a great time. The rugby, the rugby was terrible. The digs, the environment was awful. Blackpool, it's not my favourite place in the world. But actually, that kick-started a really successful season for us because we had 35 boys that went away and had a great time, really bonded well. And I know, like, you listen to... I am a bit of a rugby geek now, but um, I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, and people bang on about culture and blah, 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 and, it, and how important it is, and they do recognise that, but... There's one thing like recognising another thing, getting it right, and it is very difficult to get right, but I think if you do and you can get it kind of halfway there, then it's, it works. I don't even remember the question was, Ross. No, that's okay. I was just asking about uh, <laughs> about your philosophy when it comes to off-the-pitch man management, so don't worry about that. On the pitch, though, it's, as I said, it's about fast rugby, isn't it? Do you think your philosophies had to change with over the years with who you've had in the squad, or have you always tried to keep the same style of rugby? I've been fortunate in that a group of players who, who fit in with the way that I want to play rugby. When you go into coaching coaches, you get taught about making your playing philosophy, your coaching philosophy in terms of what you do in the park. It has to sit. You design your game plan around what you have. There is no point in playing fast-flowing rugby if you don't have the ability to do that. If you can see the potential to do that, then that's fine. You can, you can aim for that. But you have to play to your strengths. So if your strengths are very much you have a strong pack a good set piece, then you want to be kicking to the corners, playing around the corner, and using your set piece as your strength. But but for me, it comes back to having fun. Like I want to, I want to enjoy. I spend 
far too much of my life <laughs> standing at the side of the t- uh, touchline watching games. I want to enjoy watching them. So I think the same goes for everybody else that comes to the situation on Saturday afternoon. They want to enjoy watching rugby. But also the boys want to enjoy playing it. You want to enjoy playing fun rugby. Again, it's fun, isn't it? We do it because we want to do it. We do it because we're there for a good time. We're not there because we're professional rugby players. So if the way we play can be enjoyable for the players, then they're going to enjoy doing it and I'm going to enjoy watching it. People are going to enjoy watching it. And if it wins us games, then brilliant. Do you think that comes from a, a chip in your shoulder, Sandy, that develops when you're a, when you're a winger? Because my coaching philosophy is very much the same, which is why when you know, the boys had asked um, for you to come on as assistant, you know, you were one of the only... I thought to myself, yeah, now nah, I can definitely work with this guy because our, our philosophies do match up. And obviously me being wing outside centre, you being wing out centre, like that's a chip in your shoulder from all those Saturdays where you stood there as a winger going... Lads, I've only touched the ball two times here. Come on, get, get me the ball wide. Either that or a lack of understanding what the front eight is, John. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, but there's a scrum happening over there. Just get the ball out, lads. Yeah. I don't know what you do. Just get the ball out. Yeah, and there's no point in me teaching the backs to be like forwards where I can teach the back the forwards to be like backs. So, but no, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think yeah. You, you know, obviously, you coach to your strength. You coach to what you know. It's like when you, you, you coach, certainly initially, you, you use the drills and, and you coach the way that you've been coached. So, of course, you're going to coach what you know. But I have been very conscious. Well, I think probably that's maybe a, a bonus of actually not knowing very much about rugby when I first started coaching was that I had to learn. So I, I didn't have any, like, this is what I've always done. This is the way I've always been coached. Like, I never played, I mean, I played uh, regional rugby, uh, district rugby at, at school. I was coached by Peter Wright. So, I mean, his and I's philosophies were probably very different. And that was me as a well. You can imagine what that was like as a fourteen-year-old being coached by Peter Wright. I've never, I've never been exposed to any high-level coaching particularly. So I had to learn. I had to go away and learn. I had to, like what I said earlier, I had to use the boys and use the strengths within the team to to develop my ideas and, and what I could do. So like how you've kind of uh, swept over the the girls' rugby because I mean, you're quite modest of you to say that we we did all right. You you kind of hinted that you started when they were in the sort of what's now the aspiring league where they're where they're playing the odd fixture here and there and playing the festival. But, you know, you got what, two two promotions, three promotions, got got up into the premiership, finished fourth overall in the in the whole of Scotland. And um, there was then a restructure, which then meant that we got we got put back down. But but you know, it was a fairly successful call, you know, Murrayfield Cup final victories, Murrayfield Cup final losses as well. I think we had one. But you know, a fairly successful spell in that in that time you were with the girls. Yeah, 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 no doubt. That was them rather than me, but they are the ones that are out there working at it. Yeah, I don't like taking credit for that. I think they, they did a lot of work. I was just there kind of facilitating that, I guess. They did, yeah. We, you know, promotions, Murrayfield twice, one at Murrayfield twice, which was fantastic. Some great memories of that. Some really good, they were a really, really good group of girls at that time, and they still are. Certainly at that time, they were so keen to learn I was keen to learn as a new coach, so I was going to wait and learn them because they were driving me on because they were what they were coming to me going, what do we do now? How do we get better at this? What do we do there? So I had to go away and study and learn. It was brilliant. A really positive, good environment. We had some good laughs as well, some really good laughs. So yeah, there was a lot of success there. We're, again, just we had a very good environment. We were keen to learn. We had some very good players. Not necessarily played much rugby, but had the potential to grow ingredients, if you like, to be good rugby players and were able to develop that. I still feel a little bit bad done by, probably. You were saying the restructuring, John, it was. It was very much that. But we threw a process 
we had finished as the fourth best team in Scotland at that time. We finished fourth in the league at six. So that tells me we were competitive. We were never competing with the top two, top three teams. But we were certainly deserving of a place in the Premiership at the time. And the SIU restructured that. At the time, and it was less about the results on the pitch and more about the environmental stuff at the club, the access to coaching. And at that time, aspiring level two coach, maybe just level two coach. The level three coaches in there, um, they wanted floodlights, they wanted physiotherapists, they wanted standards of pitches, nutrition, they wanted season plans. They wanted squad numbers. Eh? It was like you had yeah. to have 35, 40 odd players. Yeah. And you had to have girls teams at every age grade. We were really hard done by it because we had a really good group of girls who had worked really hard to get to where they were. And through no fault of their own, we're told, actually, sorry, you're going to go back down the league. And unfortunately, they've had some really good success these last few seasons and they're going back up to the Premiership. I was actually having a conversation at the shop on my way home from work and uh, she was saying they were through a kind of similar thing at the moment. I, I, I don't know too much about it, but just in terms of expectations and, and what they have to do to be in the Premiership, that's about more than just results and having a good squad. Now, again, I think. Well, the girls have proved, haven't they? They're, they're more than deserving of their place in the Premiership this year. They've won every game, most by some margin. I'm not going to say that, I don't think they're naive enough to think that we'll be competing at the top end of the Premiership, but I think they're deserving of a shot. And it would very much back them to hold their spot up there next year. So, yeah, I still feel hard done by it, actually. We put a lot of effort and a lot of work into that to then be pumped back down a league. Success is about so much more than just the numbers or facilities or coaching badges so yeah there have been a lot of talks of more restructuring when it comes to making a fourth national league yeah is is that a thing you are on board with do you think that no matter what a national league is a national league or i certainly think so that the current national three we are a good enough side to compete in that league do you think yeah, how do you feel about another restructuring? You know, you, you talked about it with the ladies. It might happen as well with the men's. So, I absolutely believe that we we are ready. I think we were competing very much with Alan Glens last year. They were better than us, no doubt. And they proved that over the games that we played them. But there wasn't much in it at all, uh, not at all. And I think we are had another year in our development. And Alan Glens, the reason I mentioned them, they are sitting fourth in that the league above at the moment. So that tells me that that we were competing very much with them and. Uh, we're better now than we were this time last year. So, yeah, we're, we're ready for the National League. So we've got to compete. I guess having a fourth National League will ease that transition. Previously, there's been teams, Carrick being a good example, DL, they, they, they went up at the West 1 into the National Leagues, lasted a season or two, and DL are now West 2, and Carrick are sitting at the bottom of West 1. So there clearly was an issue there, wasn't there, with that transition from regional leagues up to, to National Leagues. And maybe I'm going to contradict myself a bit by saying that what I disagreed about the girls was about success was, or the, the capacity or potential for success wasn't necessarily around what club the facilities they had and the, the coaches and all the rest of it. I think you do have to be prepared for the step up. And that doesn't mean, mean you need uh, fantastic coaches. It doesn't mean you need gyms or floodlights or whatever else that their the, the expectations were for the girls. But you do have to be ready because it is the, the, the standard rugby, I think, will cope with just fine. But well, the travelling, for example, I mean, at the moment, all our games are within, we don't travel much more than two hours driving. Next year, we'll be looking at trips to Dundee, Aberdeen, the far side of Edinburgh, Orkney, potentially, depending on how the restructuring goes, Inverness. You know, so straight away, we've got boys, rather than leaving at half past 10, 11 o'clock, being back at 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night, we're going away at half past 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, being back at 10, 11 o'clock. 
So that's just one thing that, that is not rugby related that you have to think about to step up. So, yeah, it's anything that eases the transition and enhances the chances of us staying in the national leagues is probably a good thing. So creating a fourth national tier should reduce the jump. But you have to look at teams like Newton Stewart. They, they went, they took a long number of seasons to get out of work, a few seasons to get out of West 1. They romped National 3 and they're now sitting, what, second, potentially, maybe more realistically, third or fourth in that too. So actually maybe create a fourth league. If you're a team who is that good and you're aspiring to get on, then maybe it creates another rung in the ladder to step up. I think for us, I'm happy that we can make the step up. I'm not particularly fussed whether that's National 3 or National 4. What I had hoped maybe that there's more opportunity to get out of West 1, and it has made a difference this season, albeit I'm really hoping we're not going to be worried about it, but West 1, regional leagues in general are very difficult to get out of, with only one team get promoted. We've been chapping the door now for two or three seasons. Garnock, who are neck and neck with us at the moment, have been chapping the door for longer than that, four or five seasons. Martin Glens, where they lost out in promotion literally by a penalty kick in the last 80, in 80 first minute of a game at Greenock. Greenock got promoted, so they were very much in the, in the, in the race. So, it's difficult if you're there or thereabouts and then you don't get promoted and maybe you lose a couple of players and you drop down again and finish second or third in West 1 and, and don't make that step up. And I actually think that the top, certainly the top two this year, previously the top three teams in West 1 would survive in the National Leagues quite happily. So I don't think creating a national, a fourth national team will improve those chances. But for me, I think there should be maybe more of an option to make that move, jump from the regional leagues into the National League. Because I think the standard of West rugby in West One is is good. Certainly for the, the last all of my involvement, the top four teams, maybe the top two teams, have really been competitive. I've no strong opinions of National Four, I guess, but I would like to see more options for movement from West One. It could, like this year, we're having a the first team from West North and East, West North and East is going up automatically. The second place teams from each league will have a playoff to see who gets the, the fourth spot in National Four. Now we talk about actually getting that step up because of where Stewartry are right now in the season. So we have to talk about the, the successes we've had so far. It's still a long way to go, of course. But what in in your view, obviously I've talked to some of the boys and they've everyone's got their opinion on, on what's been going right this season, why we are challenging for that title. But from the coach himself, what has it been for you? Has it been you often say picking a team isn't easy? We've got a lot of people coming to training. We've got a lot of people working hard. Is it just the style of rugby we play? What What do you think has been our key to success so far this season? Like I said, maybe at the start, teams go in cycles. We are fortunate. We have a very good group of players at the moment. A very good group. We have a very good mix of experience, youth, ability, desire, hunger, want, work great, all of those things. We have a good, strong leadership group. I think it's a whole combination of reasons why we are achieving that success. We've got a good round of bit of clarity around what we're trying to do in the pitch, the game plan, we're all bought into it. It's actually been more difficult this year probably to that, not create that culture because that culture is embedded in I feel. I think you know, we, we have that you need to check yourself all the time but I think it's, it's been probably more focused on the results and performances this year than, than in previous years. But I think and I talked to the boys a bit about this after the Kilmarnock game where we, we scored a try in the 81st minute win 13-12. It wasn't the finest hour, I say, but I talked a lot to this a bit about that I see there's so much potential and talent in this team and I would be really disappointed if we wasted it. 
And again, that's maybe at odds with what I'm saying. Oh, and most of my rugby philosophy is about boys playing, boys having fun. And that's ultimately why we do it. But actually, the results are good too. I'm naturally a competitive person. Most of the boys in the team want to be successful. Not necessarily at the expense of the other things, but we, you, you, you play sport to win. So I think we have a group of players who have recognised that they have that potential and they want to fulfil it. We want to push on and test themselves against the best teams. I think without being disrespectful towards any team in our league, we've been around this league a wee while now. We've travelled to the same pitches. We have played the same teams, played the same players for a long number of seasons. We want to go and challenge ourselves. I want to go and play other places. I want to go and see the world like outside of the west of Scotland. I want to go to travel to some other clubs to meet some other people and play some other teams and play some different styles of rugby. But yeah, I think, I think that's a massive part of it. I think the boys are really, really keen to get on. So possibly our culture this year has moved away slightly from fun towards competition, but we still have to, and John, reckon our captain, spoke about it Saturday again, we have to remember the journey that we're on because we'll never get another iron away fixture on the 28th of January 2023. Like, that, that's what we've had that so we can't always, I think we've probably been guilty this year, but like, we need to win, we need to win, we need to win, and we're forgetting about it. Actually, let's just enjoy what we're doing at the moment. Have a good time and enjoy the game that we're playing right now. So You said about selection, Roscoe. That is my, I hate selection. I absolutely hate that as a coach. I recognise it's part of leadership because I'm going to make difficult decisions and tough calls, but I, I just want everybody to play rugby. Like, I want everybody to enjoy it. We are in a really fortunate position at the moment where every single week we have boys who are more than capable of playing first-team rugby. We're only allowed to pick 19 players. Which is a an arrangement, a rule of this you have implemented to try and supplement second team rugby or to help get second team rugby off the ground, which I totally understand and I'm absolutely behind. Because if the first team rugby, if, if we were to take 23 players every week, we wouldn't turn out a second team. As it is, we can take 19, we occasionally take 18 boys just to make sure there's every possibility of getting a second team out. But that also means the flip side of that is that I can only take 19 boys in the squad. I have a lot of boys nearly 30 boys who are capable of playing first-team rugby. And deserve to be playing first-team rugby, actually, because they're all putting in the effort and they're all trying and doing their extras. But we just can't. It's only 19, and, and we have to pick the 19 that we think are the best players within the job. So I hate, I honestly hate that. I, I, I try to speak to boys and explain. It's not always possible. I try to be open about that so boys can approach us and say, like, what's the crack? Why not? And I've had some difficult conversations with folk, and we've had folk falling out with us over that, and, that's, yeah, that's part of being a leader, I guess. I don't like it. It's why I'm really put up all the time. It's often often said, Sandy, that the the bottom the bottom five percent of your squad is what defines your success for the season. So, like those those boys who who maybe aren't getting a game by being so committed at training and by being so putting pressure on those first team boys and creating you, giving you those headaches. In actual fact, that's that's those guys are probably what's driving the success because your first team boys know they have to be on it. They know that they have to perform week in, week out. Otherwise, there's someone chapping out the bit to take their jersey. You know, we've said Fraser Gibson a couple of times on the on the podcast the last couple of weeks about how well he's doing. You know, he was a boy who had sort of left rugby a little bit, came back this year. He was a cult, stopped playing, came back, played, and he's now, you know, 
pushing those first team boys to make sure that they are on their game because he's waiting in the wings for that for that new selection. Do you think that that's that could be part of the defining success of Stuart this season? Is that those guys who are missing out because they are so committed? Yeah, that's massive. We, we've had on Thursday night passing like 20, eight or 29 boys training. Like that's nearly two full. That is, that's phenomenal for training. That, that means that unless I've got something wrong or David's got something wrong, then there's no excuse for those boys not going into Saturday the most prepared they could be. Because we had a 25 minute hit out going full gas against each other at training the first night. That's brilliant. So 30 boys turn up to training. There's probably 23 or four of those boys believe that they could be playing in that weekend squad. But there's also six, seven, eight, nine, ten boys that know actually I'm probably not going to be playing in that squad at the weekend. I might be playing a second team squad from my second team game at the weekend. But they're still turning up and working because they want to improve, because they want to be part of the environment, or because they want to push the first team on and want to make sure that they are part of that success. And I, I think, well, I sort of try to be acknowledge that, that actually, yeah, the first team, first 19 are the ones that we're talking about, they're the ones that work with the results on the weekend. But that is the boys that are training every single week who have maybe only played one or two first team games. And also the ones that the previous week were dropped and felt they should have been picked still turn up because they want the shirt back. Kieran, we, Kieran Maguire, for a good case of that, he, at the start of the season, Kieran and I had conversations about why well, he got injured first of all, so he dropped out of the squad. He came back in, and, and it was a couple of boys had Ben Spence and Fergus Barn, who had moved in to the area this year, had, had kind of taken over his spot at Hooker. They were certainly the first two choice hookers. Kieran came back in and was lacking a bit of fitness. We had a bit of chat around why he wasn't in, and he was out of quite a long time uh, then over uh, mid November through December and first part of January. He came back training since Christmas, working hard, and he got his first start at Aaron on Saturday and was phenomenal for the 20 minutes he was on. And it's now given us a really difficult selection headache to make. And that's brilliant. Like, absolutely brilliant. He could easily have went, in November, went, I'm not playing, in, I'm not getting a, I'm not getting a game. He went maybe six weeks in a row where he wasn't picked. I was open with him, we had conversations about why, but he stuck at it and came back and is now, this week, and his first start back went, actually, that shirt's mine. So, that's brilliant. Because the boys that are behind him now, or on par with him are now looking at him going well they're, they're going to step up and train and they're going to push so constantly I think we're just, we're just in a really good spot where boys are one to be part of the squad and they're really pushing each other on in a healthy way to have some robust conversations with people at times maybe because they think they should have been picked everybody's got a different opinions at the end of the day they could be right I could be wrong or the selection group could be wrong but it's us that makes a choice so they come to me and say what can I do to change your mind and I talk to them and they go away and they do it it would, it would be yeah. a concern. It would be a concern, Sandy, if you weren't having to have those conversations. You know, if those players were just taking that lying down. And yeah, going, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, right, of course. And I, like we get that every week. Like this boys on the phone are texting me through the week, going, "Like, what's the crack climbing up pit?" And being upset, or because yeah, yeah, sometimes that conversation gets a bit robust. But of course, that's right. I don't want them to just go, "All right, cheers, my pet." Well, doesn't matter. I don't really care. Because that's absolute, absolute well, yeah, you don't want boys like that. You want boys that are desperate to play. Because they're the ones who are going to turn up the train and make the effort. And then the boy that's in front of them is going to go, well, he's chasing me all the way, so I need to help my game. So, yeah, the standard just constantly gets raised. I thought some of the... Oh, that was my... Going back to a question earlier on, uh, Roscoe, about the reason for success. Well, that's been really fortunate this year with some boys moving into there as well. And again, that's just luck, isn't it? Boys have moved here for work, family reasons. Well, yourself included, Ross. Four or five boys moved in and... I, got, I was sitting at, we were sitting at the patio one night eating dinner 
went drinking a glass of wine as well. Nice sunny summer's night. I got a phone call from saying, I've I've given your name as, as the coach at Shooter Rugby Club. <laughs> I'm looking to speak to you about my son playing rugby. I just got John's number up on the phone and phoned him back and said, I took Sandy Clare from Shooter Rugby Club. And I think we're looking to speak to the development officer, John Muir. He's in charge of all the, the youth rugby for the club. And she was like, all right, maybe, yeah, I'm speaking to John, but my son's actually 19 years old. <laughs> it's him I wanted to speak to you about. So it turns out it was it was me she was looking for, but I just assumed that um, this boy was underage. But it turns out, no, it was a 19-year-old boy who, or 19-year-old man who had got his mum to phone me to ask if when rugby training was on. You can narrow it down and decide who that was. Sandy, we'll come on to, you mentioned there, the game against Annan. It's It was one of many games this weekend that were... <laughs> Pretty, pretty interesting to say the least. Feel free to chip in wherever you see fit. I know you've you've spent quite a lot of time down here. You know know a lot of the teams. I think one of the biggest takeaways from what you've said is definitely the fact that people go through or rugby teams, sorry, go through their stages, go through their cycles, and you've seen teams that have that have flown up. For example, Newton Stewart this weekend won forty seven eight, and that. Although a big score is not not nearly one of the most interesting fixtures that happened this weekend, you know, and the lead into what's going to be a massive weekend for DNG rugby, we've we've got some some interesting score lines, and if you're looking on the SRU website, you'll see that the the score line is slightly different than what is the what was the actual score line. So, <laughs> um, when I when I spoke to Newton, I spoke to Wiley. He said it was a f- fairly even first half. The boys that they knew that were going into a Carthor game that it was going to be a tough, a tough one. They were under no illusions of that. Dumfries struggled against Carthor a little bit previous week, so they, they knew they were going to be up against it. They knew you had to be on the ball. So, like we said on the podcast, they were hoping for that, that good weather, that that good pitch up at Carthor to play into their favour, so they could get some some ball in the backs and get the ball and get the ball moving into the wide space and. As you see the scoreline, they certainly managed that. Out of all the try scorers, there was only one Ross Campbell was a forward. The rest of them were all all backline tries. So it just shows when when people are talking about Newton Stewart and saying about this uh, up the jumper style of rugby that they want to play, then uh, they're slightly misguided now because Newton have definitely changed changed their style of play. Carter got their points in the first half, and it was just down to a little bit of ill discipline from Newton. They sort of got a couple of offsides, hands on the rock, just a lack of a lack of maybe a little bit excited into the game, knowing that knowing that it was potentially going to be a banana skin for them. But Russell Morton got his what his first try. Thomas Quigley managed to get over and score, and Davy Adams managed to score all in that first half as well. Towards the end of the half, they they managed to sort of get the ball rolling. Jack Gall got a penalty and a conversion. In that first half as well, which which took the game to twenty eight three at half time. Going into the second half, they kind of knew that they were now in control of the game and just wanted to cut loose in that in that back line. And that was a lot of their chat was let's get the ball wide, let's let's put these guys to the sword. So there was another a David Goss score. Russell Morton got another two, so he ended up finishing the game with a hat trick from fullback. And as I say, Ross Campbell being the only forward. Who managed to to get over the the Carthus score happened in that second half as well. Again, some penalties let them get into a position where they could create a driving mall and and just and went over the line. So all in all, 
a fairly good, fairly good result, a great result for Newton, a good performance. The red wall in the second half was, you know, made sure that it kept Carter to only that eight points. But if they're going into this big game against Glasgow Ackies, which we're going to talk about later on, then then that discipline needs to be needs to be on point. So yeah, eighty eighty three percent of the score predictors had a Newton Stewart win. And the closest one, nobody got anywhere near close the the forty seven points. Everybody was in around the 30, 30 point marker. But the Barracuda is back on the score predictor and he, he managed to guess twenty nine ten, which was the closest. Newton certainly were favourites, but no one expected a, a score line that, that high. Moving to Dumfries, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but this might be the first score on since starting the podcast. Um Again, I might be wrong, but Hamilton Dumfries Saints finished twenty six all. Yeah, it would be the first draw. They don't happen very often in rugby, and by all reports, probably shouldn't have happened at the weekend either. Dumfries were really disappointed come the end of the game. They had never been behind the whole game, and it was only in the in the last couple of last couple of minutes of the game that that Hamilton managed to to claw themselves back. The other real disappointing thing for Dumfries is that Hamilton scored four tries, so got a bonus point, and Dumfries only managed three tries, so they didn't get a bonus point. And it was just Dumfries, they attained the lead, and they were getting 10, 15 points ahead, and then Hamilton were clawing them back. They just couldn't quite finish them off. Again, we talked about it on the pod last uh, week, about an injured bull, you never, you know, you need to make sure you finish them off because they they come back and they come back and bite you, and that's obviously what happened there. Hamilton had managed to f- pull back a few old faces that had left and played at maybe GHK for a part of the season, and they brought some of those guys back, so they'd certainly strengthened their squad now. But as I say, Dumfries a little bit disappointed uh, that they didn't they didn't see that game away. There was an opportunity, Captain Hindsight, you know, there was an opportunity at the end of the game. Uh, Goldie, the captain backed his charges and, and went for the corner, as I suppose is probably fair if you've been ahead in the whole game instead of opting for a you know, it was a touch and go penalty, don't get me wrong, you know, forty metres out, a big kick. But went for the corner. It ended up didn't didn't come off for them. So the draw ended up there. But as I say, Dumfries Dumfries a little bit disappointed with that. Fifty percent of our those score predictions had a Dumfries win, so it was obviously going to be a tight game. But yeah, a draw at the end. Not a loss, not a complete disaster, but certainly when you're ahead in most of the game, you don't you don't want to be you don't want to be losing it. I heard you use that injured bull line last week, John. It wasn't any better this week. Aye, I, prove right, Sandy. Prove right. <laughs> Doesn't make a good line. <laughs> Sandy, coming to you then. The local derby over the weekend. Another one where we left it a little late to secure the bonus point try. Not as late as the previous two games before that, but. Yeah, something I just want to say for everyone listening. I uh, since obviously I only joined Stuart Tree this year. Uh, well, actually, not even at the start of the year, November time. Sandy amazes me how calm you can stay on the touchline. I think I, I think I even said it to you during during one of the games. It's I, I'm going absolutely mental on the sidelines watching us play. Sometimes, especially when we're leaving it as late as we did, but in the end, came out twenty six nine winners and did get that. Try bonus point, which is which is huge. Hey, I am probably one of the most laid back people in the world, but on a touchline, these last 
three weekends, maybe on the outside where it comes, like the proverbial swan, isn't it, in the water, but inside them absolutely dying off. This week was far better, to be honest, in terms of my stress levels. Kilmarnock, we scored in like the 81st minute to win the game. Our draws in, we got the bonus point in the 79th. And bear in mind, this season we really need bonus points. Uh, like the 79th minute, this week was 77 maybe, uh, where we got the bonus point try. So I'm hoping Barnett will have the bonus point win wrapped up in around 75 minutes. Yeah, it's tough, mate. It's tough. Staying on the ties line. But David, David Bowen's there doing all my shouting and being angry. I don't need to do it. Great, great result in all credit to Annan. We... It's been really good, actually, the last few seasons. <laughs> um, for all, even this year's probably the first year was well, last year to a degree, but certainly been truly competing at the top of the league, and we're still in the cup this year as well. So there's those two things to focus on. But every other year, uh, we've had Ludo, for those that don't know, Ludo John Lowe is a club stalwart who is maybe a bit of an assurity encyclopedia as well. And every single week before a game, I got a, I got a breakdown of, of the... the, the Everything to do with the game. Who number of caps, the number of times we've beaten that team since 1965. And been a lot of games now where it was the first time, first Stuart team to beat Kilmarnock away, or the first uh, Stuart team to beat Annan four times in a row. This week, which is a cup is up for grabs, we had a 47 point kind of lead in that, so we were quite confident there. But we were going to be the first, let me this right, between the two teams, Annan hold the record for the longest run of. So they had beaten us six times in a row previously. If we won on Saturday, that was us going to have beaten them seven times in the bounce. So we played them three times last year because we got fixture and then the second time this year. So in the last three seasons. So with that, with that to play for, Ludo was desperate that, that we kind of... Because obviously if, if we didn't win as hard, then you'd, you'd reset that back. We'd have to go back to, to starting again, one from seven. So yeah, that was something to play for. Uh, but we, we knew, like maybe league on paper or league form would kind of suggest that the game would be maybe less close than it was. But we knew, obviously, it's Annan, uh, Annan at home. It's a big, big game. Chisholm Cups up to play for with those kind of bragging rights in terms of the number of wins over each other. League form kind of goes out the window, doesn't it, when it comes to local derbies? You guys talked touched on that with the Shire Newton Stewart game at Spice Cup at Christmas time. There was two and a bit of leagues between them, and it was a much closer game. So we knew that going into the game, and. First 20 minutes, actually, we were strong. We were kind of flying, to be honest. We sat well in our shape and going edge to the edge and we were finding space in the edges and playing around them fairly well. But they really fought. They dug in. We did not give us much away. We, we crossed the trial and had a few good entries in their 22, I think, four times and came away with nothing. They were really forcing errors from us well, actually. Do you sort of feel if we'd maybe got one or two of those scores in the first 20 minutes, it would have been a different game. But they really battled hard to keep us out. So we were good entries in the 22 and then come away with nothing. And they got all... Their heads were down a wee bit, maybe, and they got their bit, of the, the bit between their teeth. Wind in their sails and, and came back at us. We gave away a lot of penalties, a lot of penalties. A bit of a theme this week, this year, sorry, ill-discipline. We can be quite quick to blame the referee in those situations, I guess, but we can't. That's on us. We should never be given the referee an opportunity to be seen something, us doing something wrong. Spoke to Rab today, actually. Uh, Rab McKinney was referee assessing. On Saturday, so he keeps it. Rams quite good. He keeps a wee tally of penalties for and against. And uh, I've spoken to him today about that. And his opinions from the referee's point of view in terms of what we can improve on for next week. So, yeah, that we we probably we we didn't we weren't clinical enough in the final third of the pitch. We gave away far too many penalties, which allowed them back into the game and indeed put them in front at half time. Was I worried? I don't think so. We really needed to get the bonus point, but. Yeah, we fairly quickly after the second half, we, we gave up with the penalties, but a good shot half time with penalties. We stopped giving away penalties. And we had a tough 15 minutes in the first half where we scored again, and then 
we scored the third try. It was all we were we were firing. Right? We were really flying after that third try. What try came again? Credit to Anne in the battle. Their goal line defence was supreme. Actually, it was a good win, really good win actually. And I think that's been a really good or good a positive takeaway these last few weeks. Actually, is the the boys really stuck at it. Like the Kamara performance, I didn't feel was was, was good enough for the most part. But we'd never give up, and that's like top of good teams winning ugly. I think their games potentially would have lost last year and it could have cost us the league by now whereas as it is we've we'll, we'll pulled through we've we'll fought hard actually these last three games across the home games a real test as well we really have the battle to get through that and we have done and we're still very much in contention yeah good win on Saturday very happy because we knew Anand it's a tough game of course it's league form means nothing in that they're, they're, they're really tough at home they had a few players back as well which is good to see and they were playing some good rugby actually one that was very 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 far away from a draw was Shire at the weekend they played Paisley and they won ninety two nil. Yeah, I mean going going into that game, Shire on the score predictor were favourites. Eighty percent of the people reckoned that Shire were going to win that game, but nobody was anywhere near the the ninety two mark. Unfortunately for Paisley, they, they they could only rustle up twelve players for the fixture. So fair play to Paisley for making their way down to that game with only twelve. So game on principles would uh, have applied there. So Shire would have matched them for 12 and, and went into the game. Speaking to Gregor, as you can imagine, a team travelling with 12 players, they are probably not coming off the bus particularly hot. So right from the start, Shire hit the straps and you know they started building a started building a league. So Gregor used that as a bit of an opportunity to try out some strike plays, try out some plays within the structure, an open play. And obviously they were working for them. If you finish the game with ninety-two points, uh, you're obviously keeping to your shape and and still playing some good some good rugby. So, well done to Shire. Also, he, he says that they're coming into a fairly big game this weekend. That a lot of their boys put their hands up for selection for the for the game this weekend, which was um, obviously going to cause him a selection headache. You know that Sandy was talking about for, that he's he's getting so Gregor's in the same boat over there. Gregor Service got man of the match. You know he was phenomenal. He his work rate. Um, he really epitomises what they're trying to do over at Shire when they're working hard. He had some good turnovers, carried the ball really well, which which got him yeah, a man of the match performance. Sean Young playing in the wide channels managed to manage to get himself into some space. Made some really good line breaks. So he's really starting to to come into his own out there once the back line gets a bit of confidence that we talked about before. You know, they're really starting to to fire. And Neil Forsyth and Frank Gwen again in that in that midfield pulling the strings. We talked about them. If they build some confidence in that back line, they can be dangerous. Uh, and, and there you go, they've put Paisley to the sword 90, 92 nil. So uh, that's a that's a great result for, for Shire heading into what's going to be a big weekend for them as well. Yeah, and we had two Two's games as well before we head into our fixtures preview at the end. Uh, some also big scores, not not quite ninety two nil, but we had Mar twos beat Saints twos eighty four five and Galloway beating Annan forty one nil. Yeah, so the the Mar fixture was obviously that was a, a competitive league match. Mar being a Premiership side, always going to be strong second team. Uh, they'll be pretty much in the same boat as as what we were talking about with boys in that second team who are fringe first team players, really putting their hand up for a for a first team jersey. So it was always going to be difficult for Saints to to get up the road to Trin and and play that Mar side again. Eighty percent of the score predictors predicted that 
that Mar victory. No one quite thought it was going to be 84, but yeah, a, a tough one for the for the Saints to take. But second teams getting getting them out, getting them playing. That's Saints on the road again. That's a fair effort to get a second team out to travel. So good good on them. Galloway were scheduled to play Cumnock, but unfortunately Cumnock were unable to get a second team. So Annan stepped up to the marker to to give them a fixture to play that double header. Um, Annan struggled for some home games this season in that second team league. Just the way that the draw has been has been pulled out for them, so they were grateful for us to to travel and, and get that game played at at Violet Bank for them. But yeah, as you say, Galloway ran out forty one points to nil. I hear there was a couple of assists from a Burley Burley centre playing in at twelve. Ross, can you confirm or deny those reports, mate? Yeah, yeah, a few assists. On on Saturday, thankfully we we started fifteen minutes early, so we could catch the catch the tail end of the first game. No, I think it was all right. Look, we we played some very very good rugby. We scored very early on, which meant that we could kind of relax into it for the rest of the game. The biggest thing for us was keeping them to zero. That's two games now this season. Fifty nil in the first game at home, forty one nil away. So completely shutting them out over one hundred and sixty minutes of rugby is. Is a fair effort, but as I say, an attack, some some really good play. I I only got my assist because I just kind of shipped the ball as quickly as possible, avoided contact. Not I don't often avoid contact, but it was like I said off air to Sandy. It was a chance to get some minutes under the belt and play play some different kind of rugby. So a bit more of a playmaker role at twelve than not passing like I usually do, to be honest. But no, it was good in the end. Defence was, was really strong. Really good at mixing up the play, some good kicks, some good backs moves and really good performances all around. So yeah, 91-0 aggregate. You have to be happy with that. But also, as you said, seeing it, seeing the double header then playing side by side, Stuart Tree first and seconds or Galloway seconds and Adam first and seconds. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a great day of rugby no matter what. It's what you want to see. Full pitches. Lots of support. So, good day all around. That's self-reflection there, Ross. I like that. Yeah. That's, I've been mulling it over for the past couple of days. So, hopefully, repeats this weekend. We've had huge scorelines, some draws, last-minute winners. Teams kept to nil. We're hoping for the same this weekend. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fixtures this weekend and some really, really exciting ones. First up is Newton and Ackes and John. You've been you've been looking forward to this one for a while. Ah, uh, mate, this this whole weekend I've had it circled in my diary for a while now, dubbing it Super Saturday for the the D and G teams. Yeah, as you say, first up, Newton Stewart versus Ackes, one versus two, first v second. Each of them have eight try bonus points and one losing bonus point. Four points separating them in the league. Granted, Newton have played one game extra. Newton going into the game, 11 wins, four losses. Aki's only lost twice, one twelve. And some interesting stats for you as well. Between the two, these two sides, we are talking about the best defence in National 2 versus the second best defence in National 2. And Newton Stewart are currently the leaders on that. So they have the best defence by th- is by 13 points, granted, 
But having played that extra game, that makes it even more impressive. And then on the flip side, you're looking at Aki's with the second best attack in the league and Newton with the third best attack in the league. So this is an absolute cracker of a game. That Who's last the best attack in that league? Sorry. Who's the best attack in that league? Falkirk. Oh, yeah. Well, they're sitting like fourth or fifth. They're sitting third. So Falkirk oh, and third have the, have the best attack. They're on, 100, uh, they're on 421 points. Aki's second best attack, 410. And Newton Stewart, third best attack, 389. So yeah, this is a real top of the like, like you couldn't get this any better. This is a real top of the table clash. So being at Newton, you know, Aki's having to travel. There is that there is that element there. But Aki's are probably going to lead into this. Having only lost twice, you've probably got to say that Aki's are the favourite, but it's everything to play for, as we say, you know. One and two in terms of defence, two and three in terms of attack. It's it's going to be a right a right cracker of a game. What was the score over there? Uh, the last time they played, Aki's won twenty seven five. So that's also leading into probably Aki's going into this game as as favourite Sunday twenty seven five. Brilliant! I'm so happy. I have massive love for you too. Obviously, being from there originally, so delighted to see them doing really well. I'm good guys through them. I played some really good rugby. So brilliant to see. Even just to be talking about them in that. Well, John, I didn't know, well, neither of us knew that Falkirk were the best attack in that league. So that makes our second fixture even more exciting. Travelling to Park Farm this weekend, Dumfries Saints. Welcome, Falkirk. Yeah, so Falkirk sitting third in that league. Saints fifth, as as we've just said, Falkirk have the best attacking record in that league. So it's going to be a tough one for Saints. You know, this is a, a real challenge for Saints. They've Won eight games, lost five, and now got the draw. Falkirk only lost three, won 11. There's 15 points separating in the table. And the last time the two sides met, Falkirk came away 61-19 winners. So it's going to be a real challenge for Saints. But they are are putting their unbeaten record up against Falkirk because they've not been beaten at Park Farm this season. So there is a glimmer of hope. They are for the for the Saints. It's not all probably going to go Falkirk's way. They'll they'll be looking to try and keep that keep that record. But yeah, another cracker of a game being as uh, it's third versus fifth in that league. Saints been on uh, been on the march. Had that disappointment last weekend, hoping to bounce back and and pick up a massive victory if they if they can put Falkirk away. The biggest one of our huge weekend. Well, the biggest for us three at least. Sandy Stewartry, Garnock are coming to Greenlaw this weekend. Something you said earlier that I think is very true is trying to enjoy where you are at the moment. You mentioned it's all well and good, playing great rugby, getting the results, getting the bonus points and everything, but you need to take a look at where you are and enjoy where you are, enjoy your rugby, each game, each training, everything that comes with it. How much can we be, how much can that philosophy come into this weekend? It's obviously a massive, massive game. We need to enjoy where we are. It's it's going to be a good one, no matter what. I cannot wait for this weekend. I honestly cannot wait because, yeah, like we've said all the all the way or I've said all the way through that we'll do it because we enjoy it to be part of something bigger. See, like there's not much, not many games that you'll remember. Like I've not played a massive amount of rugby, but I don't remember many games. But there'll be certain games in your career. 
however long or short that is, will stick out in the memory. And this will be one of them this weekend. So it's about remembering that. It's massive. It's a great opportunity. It's really good to be involved in that battle at the top of the league. I firmly believe we deserve to be there. And boys will remember this. We'll, we'll, we'll see each other in the pub in the supermarket in however many years' time. And we'll be talking about this season or this game, which is brilliant. So, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited. Really, really excited for it, actually. I think first and foremost, that's what we need to remember and not get caught up in, all, in, in, in any putting pressure on ourselves. It's just brilliant to be here. Like, if we go and do our job and play the way we can, the result, see the result look after itself. It's a lot to do together. But yeah, just really happy to be involved in this. Like, we've been together a long time now. We deserve to be here. We've worked really hard to get here. And I'm really glad that we are here and that we've not, maybe if we'd lost a game or two by an unlucky loss or. Yeah, we dropped points elsewhere, we wouldn't be in this conversation that we are because of what we've done so far, because of what we've achieved so far. So it's brilliant just to be competing. I'm going to hit you some some stats here that's going to help you back up. But again, this is the best defence versus the second best defence in the league. This is the third best attack versus the second best attack. Cumnock have the title of the best attack. attack, Or up 440 points. They've played one more fixture than uh, than Stewartry on the we same as well. We've not played them up there yet. Yeah, Both, well, that's that was another one of my my stats coming on to this is <laughs> to to maybe give you a bit of a play down is that Stewartry still have to play Cumnock, Garnock still have to play Kilmarnock. So this is not the be all and end all, but this is this is massive because as I say, best defense, best attack. Both teams only lost one game each. Garnock is Stewartry's only loss. Garnock lost at the beginning of the season to Cumnock. So this is this is a bit of revenge. It was twenty six five, and I remember the match report. I remember speaking to you after that game, and you pretty much said, you know, Garnock didn't just beat us; they they destroyed us. They absolutely smashed you. So now there is revenge being down at Greenlaw. Garnock, we know that there's guys listen on the podcast to the podcast from Garnock. There is a supporters bus coming. They are they've got this game circled. We've got this game circled. This is the clash. You say the the game that you remember. Mine's was my game. I remember as a coach was Canvas Lang. That was yeah. the that was the fixture. The boys still, I know, like, I, know about, I was involved. I know about that game because the boys still talk about it. Yep. And this is this is this season's massive game. So. For all the hype, you're trying to play it down. The people, the people know that this is a, this is a massive game, and again for another massive game for a massive weekend for rugby and DNG season defining. We're the underdogs, mate, aren't we? Well, I mean, if you want the underdog tag, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Garnock will play the underdog tag as well, being being that they're on the on the way down. But uh, they beat they beat us up there quite convincingly. They're a bit of a blip at the start of the season against Cumnock. But they've been very strong since then. <clears throat> Come not caught them in the, in the hog right at the start of the season. Twice actually, once in the cup, once in the league. But yes, all to play for. It's brilliant. And it, like, yeah, we've we've got full availability. Boys have been absolutely bouncing this week. Training's going to be so good. Chatting all day to people about plans and stuff. It's brilliant. It's so good to be involved in. Like whatever happens. Good. I think it's great as well that there's there's clearly a buzz about both teams. Both clubs yeah. are buzzing yeah. about it, which is which is just going to make it. You know, it's going to be who's going to handle the emotion better because both are two good teams that are playing real good rugby, and it's going to come down to who who can handle the pressure, who can execute their game plan, and 
and who's going to come away from this. As we say, doesn't mean that it's totally over because there is still some challenging games. He's sure to play in Carnock. Garnock got to play Kelly. He's both have to go and play Lindsay. Both have to go and play East Kilbride. So there is a lot still to play for, but it's the game that you've have had circled since that Garnock loss. They'll have circled it straight after that as well and gone, lads, this is the season definer. So. Yeah, and listen, they, deserve to, they absolutely deserve to be there as well, uh, based on this season performance. But also, they've said earlier on about how difficult it is to out West One. Like they've been the bridesmaids so many times now in this league that they've been really pushing the door, knocking the door for probably five seasons, sitting top three, top two, never quite got there. And they, they feel like I know from speaking to them, they feel like this is their season. Right on, be ready. We'll have high confidence. Is Anne and John? They we mentioned they. They were beaten by Stuart this weekend, but like Sandy said, they were winning at halftime. Their try line defence was fantastic. They put they've got some players back, put together some good passages of play. Yes, they lost, but they played well in a in a local derby, and they've got Cumnock this weekend. Yes, yeah, when we when we had Goggs on, talked about consistency, and again, it's it's consistency with Annan. You know, they held held Kamarnock to a tight game. They then lost a game that you know they, they probably should be looking to take. They've now played the Stewartry in a game that, for all intents and purposes, people would think Stewartry would run away with. And instead, Annan played really well. I was actually really impressed with how, how they played, how they put things together and forced Stewartry into a lot of mistakes. So it's that roller coaster of emotions that, that's happening at Annan. They're coming into this game, you, you just don't know. Cumnock's a good side, as we say, the best attack in this in this league, and it's at it's at Violet Bank. So does the pitch come into come into play? Because we know Violet Bank's a little bit claggy, a little bit sticky. The Cumnock boys used to that three G pitch, but Cumnock, as I say, best best attack. So it's a real tough one. We don't know what an inside's going to turn out. Gogsy's hoping that the boys turn out and put in a performance. I'm hoping that the the boys turn out and pull out performance for the sake of uh, D&G rugby. But yeah, it's 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 one of those ones. And they're just having those topsy turvy uh, topsy turvy seasons. Last time the two sides played, Cumnock won fifty five nineteen. So Cumnock will be going into this as favourites. But as Sandy says, every every dog has his day in this in this league. So Annan will be looking to cause an upset and and grab a victory there. They've only won three times, but. Hey, they put good performances in. They just need to be consistent, and that's what's key in this league. To Shire as well, they will be on cloud nine. They won ninety-two nil, like we said against Paisley. They're going away though this weekend. They're going to Oban. Like I say, they had a good result, but they are also looking to put start putting a really good run of results together. And it's an away day to Oban this weekend. Yeah, so this is a, it's a really difficult one to kind of preview because with with their league, the the number of fixtures is sort of all all over the place. So Shire have played eleven games. Straven are sitting top of that league, having played thirteen games. Oban have only played ten games. Oban are sitting third. Shire are sitting fifth. But if Shire win their games in hand, Oban win their games. All of a sudden, the the, the league table changes. So. Again, going going back to the the stats, Shire have the second best attack in the in the league, even though they've played fewer games than than half the rest of them. They have 
the second best attack, uh, the second best defense, and the best defense is Oban. So again, you've got two of the best defensive sides in that division playing off each other. You've got the second best attacking team playing in that fixture. Oban two, three games behind some of the other teams. You know, you you'd be expecting them to pick up points in that. They could be looking; they're unbeaten. They've never lost. So they're obviously a clearly good attacking team. Obviously, there's the there's the rivalry between the two because the game earlier in the season was the game that got abandoned before the sixty minute mark when Shire were were leading. That would have been Oban's only loss of the loss of the season. So there's they've got to play each other again. So they'll play each other this weekend, and then they still need to play down down in uh, Stranraer. So I, this is a big game for them. This is one that they have looked at the calendar and and said, "Yep, the winner of this game pulls starts pulling some strings at that top of the table." Now we are obviously hoping that it's going to be Shire that pulls this one off. But yeah, that that league's just so unpredictable because you can't you can't take in and you don't know where teams are going to end up finishing up. There's a big bus trip to to travel up to Oban. Oban will have a bus trip, big bus trip to get back down to to Wigtonshire. This is another one that is actually a really big game. These two teams will probably be the two teams that fight out that top of the table position. Huge game for Shire. Big bus journey away. You, we've travelled that many times, Sandy. We've we've been to Oban many many times, and we know how horrible those bus trips are when you when you lose, and how incredibly awesome and how good they are. When you when you pick up a victory, especially if you know it's one of those big games that you've had circled in the calendar for the whole season, so it's it's again another memory going to be made. Is it going to be a positive one or a negative one for the Shire? It's it's up to them. They have to go there, believe that they can, believe that they can do it, cut loose and play their play their rugby that they're wanting to play. And and as Sandy says, the score the score will happen. Whatever's meant to be, will meant to be. I remember going to Open. This is a way off. <laughs> Went to Open between night shifts. Finished at seven in the morning, travelled over on the bus, started working out. Girls had a game of rugby up there. We got there and the pitch wasn't playable. We spent 20 minutes before kick-off sweeping the water off the pitch because there's no way we were making that journey back up there again. So that pitch was going to be playable. It had to be. A long journey. long, long way. John Moffat are back in action this weekend and I, I'm going to embarrass myself here on the podcast for maybe the first time, which is, if it's episode 15, so I'm quite happy with that. Moffat have got home game. I know, I know what's I know what's coming here. As, I want to hear want to hear how you're going to try it. Go for it. As I've said before, I've only recently moved to the west of Scotland. I'm an Edinburgh boy, so I will admit I've got no idea how to pronounce the team that Moffat are hosting this weekend. My guess is going to be either Hindland or Hindland or possibly none of the above. Anyway, they are playing them right. at home. Thank Moffat you. back in action. Yeah, Heinland. They're playing Heinland. Heinland. So this is a game that Wigtonshire, it's, it's a big game for them as well. It, not Wigtonshire, Moffat, sorry. Another big game for, for Moffat. Heinland are, are fifth bottom. They've played a few more games than than Moffat. And they're definitely within striking distance of them for them to be able to pick up a victory here. Or certainly looking at picking up a victory. They've only won... Three games. Moffat having only won the one game. But to take some solace for it, the game that Moffat have won was Lanark versus uh, Lanark and Clydesdale versus Moffat. They put 50 points past them. And when Heinland played them, 
they only put 24. So there is there is hope for Moffat. One of Heinlein's victories has been against Moffat, so this is a little bit of revenge. The last time these two sides played up the road, it was 52 points to 12. So Moffat will be hoping to have a little bit of a reverse there. Heinlein's other victory, I think, was Isle of Mull travelling to them. So don't want to make any assumptions, but you know, Mull tried to get off the island and, and get um, to Glasgow would have would have probably been a bit of an issue for them travel wise. So, you know, the, those three victories it may have been slightly fortuitous. So there is an opportunity there for Moffat to be able to pick up a victory, to get another win on the board there and start and start closing the gap on some of these other teams, getting them off that bottom of that table and uh, seeing how their league season progresses from from there. There's only a couple of games left in their division, so they don't want to finish with only one victory. They want to hopefully pick up another few, so good luck to them. But certainly a game that I know Kami's targeting to try and pick up some points. So good luck to them. Last but not least, we've got a twos game, Saints twos <coughs> against Hamilton. Yeah, second team rugby, we, we don't normally spend a lot of time on it. We, we just kind of talk about it, but this one I'm going to give a little bit of a billing purely because of the result from last from the weekend there when the Saints felt like they, they lost by picking up a draw against Hamilton first. This is an opportunity for Saints seconds to go there and, and sort of get a little bit of revenge for their for their first team compadres and get a victory against against Hamilton. So it's going to be tough, but home home park advantage. It's going to be a double header. So both teams at home, Saints ones at home, obviously against Falkirk, and the seconds at home against Hamilton. Bound to be a good day at Park Farm. Good luck to them. Hopefully they get some revenge. The only thing left to do, we've kept Sandy quite a while here, so apologies for that, Sandy, but just it's quite all right. I've always been to David Boron every Monday night with a chat. And it's, I've just messaged him to say, we are, I will phone you. It'll just be like, <laughs> Johnny, keep it going. The, the only thing to do is the any other rugby business, which is always some interesting things happening in Dumfries and Galloway. For the first time, we both have some, John, from any other rugby business. Would you like me to go first this week? Yes, you can, you can go first. Okay. You can go first. I, myself, also a big rugby geek, like Sandy said, so this might be right up your street, Sandy. I have made a Six Nations fantasy league for the Dumfries and Galloway rugby podcast. So it's completely free. You just make a team, email password on the Guinness Six Nations fantasy team website. You basically get 245 stars or pounds and you make a starting 15 plus three subs and you're allowed a maximum of four players per nation. So you can't have more than four Scottish players in in your entire squad. You can change it every week. There's a Friday deadline. You choose a captain, you choose a sub and you earn points based on how they play. So tries, kicks, tackles, turnovers, man of the match, even line-out steals will earn you points. Yellow cards, red cards, losing the game will earn you minus points. So on our socials this week, we will we will put out the league. There's a password and a username to put in. As I say, it's completely free. It's very easy to do. Just make your team. And each week on the pod, we can see who's top. And the deadline is, I think, just before kickoff on Saturday, potentially Friday night. So get involved with that, DG Rugby Pod, Six Nations Fantasy. 
I'm all about it. I'm I'm there tinkering with my team every week, so I'll be I'll be well into this. Okay, I'll back that up. I've done a few now, uh, for a few years now with a group of pals, and I've lost a few fivers over the years. I've never come close to winning, but it's good crack. Good effort. Yeah, Six Nations League. We also have a, some other rugby uh, specific stuff. So I've seen that the ladies' cup fixtures are out. They're going to be starting in February, so we're going to be able to cover some uh, women's rugby again, Roscoe, coming up. So Stewartry are competing in the Sarah Beanie Cup, which is the cup competition with all the Premiership sides. So it'll be a good little tester to see where uh, Stewartry Sirens are in prep for next season. In the National Shield, Wigtonshire will be representing D&G in that competition and in the national plate Annan are flying the flag for D&G in there so basically it's just been based on their league positions the premiership sides and the top of national one playing the Serabini Cup the sort of middle group and the bottom of the premiership compete in the national shield and the plate is the bottom of National 1 uh, and National 2 sites. So we've got representation across the board in D&G. They're starting in February. All the fixtures are out on the club's social media pages. So go and have a look at that. Check that out. That's where to find them under the cup competitions if you want to see when the ladies will be playing their home fixtures at your respective clubs. See, they've got a couple of home fixtures on Saturdays, John, which is brilliant. The cup fixtures, the Premiership, some of the Premiership games are played on Saturday. So that's brilliant to see. Really good. To, I think there is the one of March potentially is going to be a double header at the top with the, the men and the women first teams both playing at home that day. Brilliant. Yeah, I think they're really trying to push push that to try and allow the girls an opportunity to sort of have that social after the game. A lot of the feedback's been when they play on a Sunday, they, they don't get to enjoy the social as much as what playing on a Friday night or playing on a, on a Saturday will. So they're sort of experimenting a little bit with that and seeing how clubs can facilitate that because obviously some clubs can. Stuart are being one with two, two pitches and dividable changing rooms so you can have two uh, different sections. Some clubs probably won't be able to facilitate that being you know one pitch or the change rooms not being not being able to be separated. So they're experimenting a little bit with that. So that'll be good to see how that plays out. Of course, Friday nights would, in my opinion, be a great way to spend your Friday night and then you've got the whole weekend. But I appreciate obviously travelling um, and stuff like that would be taken into account. So they're getting to play around with those fixtures, which is which is good. There's a bit a degree of flexibility. The other little thing that we wanted I want to touch on is for those who want his official name. Colin Warwick. For those of you who won't know his official name, Chocolate over in Annan is doing an incredible bit of uh, fundraising. He's on day 28 of a 42-day challenge for M&D on a walk bike. So I don't know if anybody's ever been on a walk bike, but being on a walk bike is horrific. He has said he's doing a minimum of 30 minutes on the walk bike a day. He also has a gammy hip putting himself through a bit of pain to try and raise some money for Doddy Aid and for M&D, which has touched his family personally as well. So it's a big effort for him. So if you want to support Chocolate, he's got a Just Given page. You'll find that on the Annan socials as well. You can you can go and check that out. Good going for a retired prop. Real good going for a retired prop. Good guy. Good guy as well. We want to offer him all the support that we can, so we'll give him a wee shout-out now and hopefully he'll raise some more money through his GoFundMe page for that because that's a fair that is a fair effort for him. 
And the last little thing is shout out to Gav Blackburn. Uh, we had him on a couple of podcasts ago and he was talking about his mental health battles and how he wants to be an advocate for mental health, not only in Dumfries and Galway, not only in Dumfries, but also as, as far and wide as, as he can reach. So Gav has set up a Facebook page called Scrum Thing to Think About. On there, he is going to post a whole load of resources on mental health for anyone who feels like they're struggling or for anybody who wants to offer some some support for some friends and family who may be going through some, some tough times. Gav has set that up on Facebook. So on our little descriptor that we normally put out with all the information that we, you know, we're going to talk about on the podcast and our timings. Um, if you are wanting to skip past some of our rambles and just get to the fixtures or the results, then that bit's normally on them. For those of you, for those of you who read that, we'll put the link underneath that to Gav's Facebook page. But you should just be able to search it. Scrum thing to think about. Certainly a good cause. So if you want to go and help him out, go and give him a follow, like some of the posts, and fair play for looking out. As always, some amazing things going on in Dumfries and Galloway. Sandy, thank you very much for coming on. Hope we haven't wasted your your evening here. It's been a long one, That's but it's been, it's been it's been fun to have you on. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always good to chat with you. John, thank you to you as well, mate. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a like and review on our social medias. John, give us a wee reminder of what they are. So our Facebook page is Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are DG Rugby Pod. We also have the Score Predictor, which we run weekly, which will be on our social media accounts. And once again, thank you for any support that you offer the pod. It really does help us spread the word of rugby and Dumfries and Galloway across the country.